Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christy Bennett Internet Radio. Today is Friday, August 7th, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we're going to um, get right into it. This might be a long one. It's the Epistles of Paul and Galatians Part 3. Tonight's program is subtitled, The Seed of Seeds, not to be confused with the King of Kings. In order to understand what Paul has written in Galatians chapter 3, one must have the same scriptural worldview which Paul of Tarsus had, understanding ancient history and the ethnic constitution of Judea in the manner in which Paul had understood those things. But because most denominational Christians rarely actually study ancient history, that worldview is far out of reach. Even their academics prove this. Every time they speak of how Flavius Josephus wrote of Jesus, and indeed he did, but they never speak of how Flavius Josephus described the forced conversion by the Maccabees of all of the Edomites to Judaism, city after city of Edomite and Canaanite were converted to Judaism under the Maccabees. It's all throughout Antiquities Book 13. And if the denominational Christian academics would only study that, they may realize that the Jews of today are actually Edomites. They are not Israel at all which is absolutely true. Understanding that history would turn their whole world upside down. But even that is only one crucial aspect required in order to understand this third chapter of Paul's epistle. In our presentation of Galatians chapter 1, we establish the identity of these Galatians as the tribes of the Germanic Galatahi, who had settled in Anatolia in the 3rd century BC. We asserted that they, in turn, had descended from Israelites of the Assyrian captivity. And to help prove those assertions, there is a much more detailed demonstration of that history in our German origin series, which we have also recently presented in podcasts here. In discussing that chapter, we also showed how Paul often referred to the children of Israel collectively as the anointed, using the same term which the Bible uses to describe Christ. Understanding all of these things is also crucial to understanding Paul's words here in Galatians chapter 3. In our presentation of Galatians chapter 2, we endeavored to demonstrate that wherever Paul of Tarsus had used the phrase, which literally translates as works of the law, he was referring to the rituals and ceremonial ordinances of the law, which were conducted by the Levitical priesthood under the Old Covenant. 
We substantiated this assertion with examples of the Septuagint Greek as well as the Dead Sea Scroll known as 4QMMT, the designation MMT being an acronym from the Hebrew words which mean some of the works of the law in reference to those same rituals. We also illustrated that many of the prophecies of the Old Testament either allude to or explicitly state that the rituals and ceremonial ordinances of the Old Testament law were to be done away with in Christ under the New Covenant. Many of the leaders, priests, and others in Jerusalem were not actually Israelites. This is evident in Romans chapter 9, where Paul explained that they were both Edomites and Israelites in Judea. And in the words of Christ at Luke chapter 11, John chapters 8 and 10, and elsewhere. It is a fact which is well documented in the histories of the Judean historian Flavius Josephus, who himself was also from a family of Levitical priests, and he was a military general. We were informed in the Gospel that those who opposed Christ were not his people, as he told them in John chapter 10. You do not believe me because... You are not my sheep, and that is why they opposed him. Those who opposed Christianity insisted that only by keeping the law of Moses could a man be justified, and using the spread of the Christian creed as a conduit. Many of them also sought to constrain Christians to the rituals and ceremonies of the law. Since the first chapter of this epistle, Paul has been writing in opposition to these men, whom we refer to as Judaizers, since they sought to keep men bound to the rituals of Judaism. The idea that rituals and ceremonies are aspects of religion required for salvation eventually did prevail in another form. It surfaced again in the sacramental ordinances of the later Roman Catholic Church. So the Judaizers did indeed persist in one form or another, and they still persist today. It is wholly evident here that they have been working amongst the Galatians to convince them that they too must be circumcised, as it has also been recorded in Acts chapter 15 that they had earlier tried to convince the Christians at Antioch that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses, meaning the rituals and the ceremonial law. Here in this third chapter of Galatians, we shall see Paul explain to us who the heirs of the covenant are, that men are not heirs of the covenant because they are keeping the works of the law but rather the heirs are those from of the faith of Abraham. However, in order to, to understand just who is of the faith of Abraham, we must understand exactly what it was that Abraham had faith in. 
what it was that Abraham believed. Paul never said that the heirs are those who have faith like Abraham, but rather that the heirs are those who are of the faith of Abraham. Paul explains that for us both here and in a slightly different way in Romans chapter 4. Paul must have written these two epistles several years apart. This one in Antioch, perhaps in 52 or early 53 AD, before his three-year sojourn in Ephesus and during the time mentioned in the verse in Acts 18, verse 22. And Romans was written when he arrived in the Troad after his long stay in Ephesus and his subsequent travels through Macedonia and Greece, which was evidently in the spring of 57 A.D. The two epistles, Galatians and Romans, must therefore reflect what Paul had been teaching in Ephesus, the city which would later, but evidently not until after Paul's death, become the home of the Apostle John. In the revelation recorded by John, the Christian assembly at Ephesus was criticized for having left its first love, which must have been the Christian teachings of Paul in both this chapter and in Romans chapter 4. Paul discusses the faith and the promises to Abraham at length and informs his readers that the promises in Christ are in accordance with that same faith and those same promises which were given to Abraham. The one chapter helps to clarify and to serve as a second witness to the other and gives us an assurance of the substance of Paul's teachings. In the opening verses of this chapter, Paul concludes what he had been saying about the rituals of the law, which leads into his discussion concerning the faith of Abraham. And we read in Galatians 3.1, O senseless Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that word rendered as bewitched may have been written as charmed. Some manuscripts have, who has bewitched you not to trust in the truth? Before whose eyes Yahshua Christ had been publicly set forth, having been crucified. And some manuscripts, the Codex Beze and the majority text, interpolate the words among you, which, of course, do not make any historical sense. This only I wish to learn from you. From rituals of law have you received the spirit or from a report or literally a hearing of faith? While presenting Galatians chapter 2, we explain that by the phrase works of the law, Paul was referring to the rituals and the ceremonial ordinances of the Old Covenant. There we had also discussed the Apostle Peter's recollection in Acts chapter 11, of what had happened at the household of Cornelius, where it is recorded that he had re 
he had realized that Cornelius and those with him had received the Spirit of God simply from hearing the account of the gospel. There, Peter is recorded as having said in Acts 11:15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning, referring to the first Christian Pentecost some years prior. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There, the apostles realized that the Spirit was received through a report of the faith, not through rituals such as water baptism. A report of the faith is the hearing of the gospel. And Paul says in verse 3, So are you senseless, beginning in spirit? You are now being perfected in flesh. Once we realize the report of the gospel and the spirit of God, once we receive these things, it is no longer fitting that we seek to be made righteous by the rituals of the law or by the sacraments, which actually only stand as a replacement version of some of the Levitical rituals. We instead seek to be perfected in spirit, knowing that no man can be made righteous by the rituals of the law. Paul had later written to the Ephesians that there was one baptism in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. And he explains the nature of that baptism where he later admonishes them in Ephesians chapter 5. And he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the assembly and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious assembly, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So the only necessary cleansing is by the word of God, as Christ had also said in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, man cannot be perfected in the flesh, meaning through the rituals or the ceremonies of the Old Testament or any modern substitute for them. And Paul says it, verse 4, have you been affected by so many things without purpose? And it's indeed without purpose being coaxed into following the works of the law, we practice them without purpose, or it may be translated in vain. Have you been affected by so many things in vain? But Paul says, and if indeed in vain, as if there were some other reason as to why men may be deceived into being coaxed into following such errors, and indeed there is. In 1 Kings, chapter 22, the kings of Israel and Judah 
Ahab and Jehoshaphat sometime around 900, 850 BCE are looking for a prophet who would prophesy something favorable to their cause. And we see in verse 23 of that chapter that Yahweh God allows men to believe lies when those men have no care for truth. And it says, now therefore behold, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and Yahweh has spoken evil concerning me. The false prophets would tell the kings just what they wanted to hear, and it would lead them to destruction. Likewise, do we have false prophets now, telling men that they need to be saved through works in rituals and at the hands of men. When men believe them, it is because they had no love for truth in the first place. And it is a punishment from God because they do such things in vain. Paul had written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and because of this, Yahweh sends to them an operation of error for them to believe in that which is false, that all those should be judged who, believing not in the truth, rather have satisfaction in unrighteousness. So modern men today are getting off, uh, are off getting baptized in churches, baptized in water, thinking that they are being saved. At the same time, their daughters are marrying Negroes, and in reality, they are being destroyed because they have no love for the truth. Verse 5, therefore he, a reference to God, therefore he, supplying to you besides the Spirit, is also effecting abilities among you from rituals of law or from a hearing of faith. The word for abilities may have been translated as works of power or even miracles, although we avoid using that word. We avoid using language which is too heavily associated with the rituals and mysteries of the Roman Catholic Church, when we can. The verb for supplying is epikorego, which is to supply in addition. So here it is to supply besides. The wonderful gifts of the apostolic age came through the hearing of faith, and not through the rituals of the law. For instance, from Acts chapter 6, from verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, meaning that they would be former Levitical priests. There's no function for priests in a real Christian community. And the great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Once again, from Acts chapter 8. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many were taken with palsies and that were lame, were healed. And it was great joy in that city. 
And finally, when Paul was in Ephesus from Acts chapter 19, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And one of the points of contention which we see throughout the gospel accounts is that the word of God, spoken through Christ, did miraculous things that the rituals dispensed by the priests were powerless to do. And that is what Paul is referring to. The inefficacy of the rituals compared to the truth in the word of God. That Abraham also believed what he heard from God is Paul's next assertion. Just as Abraham had trusted Yahweh and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We have this verb, I'm sorry, we have this verse marked as a quote. Although reading the King James Version, Paul only seems to be paraphrasing Genesis 15, verse 6. However, looking at the Septuagint Greek, Paul is actually quoting the verse as it appears in that version nearly verbatim. Paul is not merely... Excuse me. Paul is not merely contrasting two different and obscure philosophical belief systems here. One belief in works, which are supposed to have some mysterious efficacy, as opposed to some belief of faith, which is just as mysterious and which is therefore poorly defined. The mystery religions belong to the pagans, and Christians only maintain mysteries in ignorance. Paul had said to the Romans, I wish not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. He spoke of ignorance and revelation in relation to mysteries, that all Christians should understand them so that they are no longer mysteries. Only to the professional priesthood, do any of them remain mysteries, but they should not be mysteries to us. The promises made to Abraham, the faith which Abraham had in the fulfillment of those promises, and the imposition of the Levitical law are all connected aspects of the same belief system. They're not opposing belief systems. The children of Israel had been given those rituals and ordinances of the Levitical law in order to regulate themselves within a kingdom as a guide for how they were to treat one another and as a system of punishment and propitiation for their sins. Sins are violation of the laws of God in the commandments. When the children of Israel failed to keep the law of their God, they were put off in punishment, as it is recorded in the Old Testament in the histories and the prophets. Therefore, Paul tells these same Galatians in this same epistle, later in the same epistle, 
that Christ came to redeem them that were under the law, and that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Paul could only have said these things in reference to Israelites who had been put off in punishment as only they were under the law and only they had any hope of redemption. Then, as it is recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Christ came to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Chapter 1, verse 72. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Luke was recording the inspired words of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah telling us that Christ came to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. He came to forgive the lost sheep of the house of Israel, those people whom Christ himself also attested having come for, as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 15. Zechariah also told us here that Christ came to remember his holy covenant. And it is evident that Yahweh God had only made covenants with Israel, both old and new, in reference to that oath which he swore to our father Abraham. The promise of the new covenant is one in which the laws of God will be written on the hearts of those same children of Israel, as it says in Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, a reference to the old covenant, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband under them, saith Yahweh. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith Yahweh, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The law itself foretells that Yahweh would circumcise the hearts of the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. Chapter 10, and Yahweh thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love Yahweh thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. How Yahweh kept this is therefore explained in Jeremiah chapter 31 with the promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah, chapter 31, fulfills Deuteronomy 10.6. Therefore, Paul said later in his epistle to the Romans that 
Circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, meaning the letter of the law. It is the house of Israel, the family of Israel, and the house of Judah, the family of Judah, who are promised redemption and a new covenant. And here Paul says in verse 7, then you know that they, from faith, they are sons of Abraham. The faith of Abraham is not something ethereal, invisible, and mysterious. And Paul's not saying it was it is our faith that makes us sons of Abraham, not by any means. Paul's saying it was Abraham's faith that makes us sons of Abraham. Abraham trusted Yahweh when he received the promises. The faith of Abraham is not something ethereal, invisible, and mysterious. The faith of Abraham is the belief that the promises which Yahweh God had made to him would be fulfilled. God made specific promises to Abraham, and Abraham believed the things which God said to him would actually come to pass in the manner in which God had said them. To be of the faith of Abraham, one therefore has to be a part of what it was in which Abraham had believed. You cannot believe something different than Abraham did and then imagine yourself to be of the faith of Abraham. So here we must consider what it was for which Abraham had trusted God, which is indeed what it was that Abraham believed. For this purpose, we will repeat four records of the promises to Abraham, which are found in the book of Genesis, because this is where the beginning of the Christian faith is. Genesis chapter 12. Now, Yahweh had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's Genesis 12. Now we will read from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of Yahweh came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord Yahweh, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels, he shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad, 
and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in Yahweh, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Genesis chapter 17 repeats similar promises to Abraham. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but my name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made you. Notice that God did not tell Abraham that I have made God did not tell Abraham that those nations would be made his children. Abraham would be made a father of many nations, which we'll see later in Romans, did not exist when God said these things to Abraham. Those nations did not exist. If other of the world's peoples could become children of Abraham, Paul would not have been able to say that those nations did not exist when Abraham received his promise. But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. So those nations would be made from Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. In Genesis chapter 22, we see these promises repeated again. And the angel of Yahweh called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith Yahweh, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. The promises to Abraham made in Genesis chapters 12, 15, and 15 were repeated in part in chapter 22, and where the scripture says, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. We must compare Luke chapter 1, where it says in part that Christ came, that we being delivered 
out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. With this it can be assured that Abraham, as well as the children of Israel, even down to the time of Christ, have enemies which can never be Christian, for it is they from whom there is need to be delivered, as Luke records. And this is why Paul also prayed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that he should be protected from those disgusting and wicked men since the faith is not for all. Paul was speaking of the people whom we now call Jews. Abraham had been told that Yahweh would make a great nation of him. However, as it is described in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was concerned that he had no heir. And he therefore tried to substitute Eleazar, a man whom Abraham must have trusted, that Eleazar would be his heir. But Yahweh would not let Abraham substitute an heir for his own seed. And Yahweh said, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Therefore we see that God would not allow any substitutes for Abraham's seed, even if they were chosen by Abraham himself. Abraham was then assured that his own seed would become as numerous as the stars of heaven. With that, because Abraham believed Yahweh that that would indeed happen, that he would become many nations, that kings would come out of his loins that his seed would be as numerous as the stars of heaven. Because Abraham believed that, Yahweh accounted it to him for righteousness. If Abraham could not substitute his own seed, then neither can the popes or the denominational churches. Abraham was ultimately accredited because he believed that his seed would become many nations and would receive the blessings of God. Abraham did not ever believe that many nations would become his seed as the Roman Pope and the denominational churches of today teach. So wrongly and even criminally did they corrupt the word of God. Abraham never believed that Negroes, Asians, and other subhuman beasts would somehow become his seed. Abraham believed in nations coming from his own loins and not nations made from monsters. Later, in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was told, Thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations I have made thee. And then I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations, plural, all these seed, every single descendant of Abraham, 
in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Where Paul of Tarsus says here that they from faith, they are the sons of Abraham. He is telling us that those who have issued forth from the promises to Abraham are the sons of Abraham. The statement, thy seed after thee in their generation, shows us that the seed describes the collective descendants of Abraham and not a single individual who would be the heirs to an everlasting covenant. Abraham believed that his seed, his own offspring, from his own bowels would become many nations, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. If one is of one of those nations descended from Abraham, only then is one a son of Abraham and an heir to the covenant, because that is what Abraham had faith in. That is the faith of Abraham. It is not what we believe that matters. Rather, it is what Abraham believed which matters. Because only what Abraham believed can be considered the faith of Abraham. As Christ had later said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Yahweh also said to the children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 49, Thus saith Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of Yahweh that is faithful. Yahweh is faithful to his promises. And the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee, speaking to the children of Israel. So where Paul says here in verse 7, then you know that they from faith, they are sons of Abraham. He means they from the faith of Abraham, which are the descendants in which Abraham himself had believed would come from his own bowels. Paul himself clarifies what he says here in Galatians, in Romans chapter 4, where he said in its opening verse, Now what may we say that our forefather, Abraham, has found concerning the flesh? Now a study of history can also show that the Romans were descendants of Abraham, not from the Assyrian captivity, but from much earlier migrations of the Israelites out of Egypt a thousand years before the Assyrian captivity. For if Abraham, from the rituals, has been deemed worthy, he has reason to boast but not towards Yahweh. Indeed, what did the writing say? That Abraham trusted Yahweh, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Here Paul is explaining that one cannot be assured in the promises of God by performing any ritual. 
Then he continues later in that same chapter, and he says, Indeed, not through the law is the promise to Abraham or to his offspring that he is to be the heir of the society, but through righteousness of faith. For if they from of the law be heirs, the faith has been voided and the promise annulled. And by this Paul means that if one only has to keep the word of God in the law in order to be saved, then the promise is annulled, because the promise is not to those who keep the word of God. Rather, the promise is to Abraham and to Abraham's seed without condition. So again, Paul says in that same chapter, Romans chapter 4, Therefore, from of the faith, the faith which Abraham had, from of the faith, that in accordance with favor, then the promise is to be certain to all of the offspring, and not to that of the law only, keeping the law, keeping the law only assured that Israel would maintain its kingdom, but it didn't assure. It didn't need to assure its promises, which were made earlier to Abraham, which were separate from the law, which were above the law, as Paul will explain later in this epistle to the Galatians. Paul says again in Romans chapter 4, Therefore, from of the faith, that in accordance with favor, then the promise is to be certain to all of the offspring, not to that of the law only, but also to that of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all, meaning the Israelites in Judea, and the Romans descended from the Israelites, whom Paul is writing to. And he says, just as it is written, that a father of many nations I have made you, before Yahweh whom he trusted, who raises the dead to life, and calls things not existing as existing. And those nations did not exist when the promise was made, because they came from Abraham's loins, as Yahweh had promised. And then Paul says, who contrary to expectation, because Abraham was so old and did not have an heir, who contrary to expectation, in expectation believed, for which he would become a father of many nations according to the declaration. Thus, your offspring will be. So, many nations weren't made Abraham's seed. Rather, those from the faith of Abraham are the offspring of Abraham according to what Abraham believed, that a father of many nations he would be. They would come from his own bowels, from his own loins, contrary to expectation. According to the declaration, thus your offspring will be. Many nations won't become Abraham's seed. Abraham's own offspring would become many nations where Paul wrote that God 
calls things not existing as existing, it is because God promised Abraham that many nations would come from out of his loins long before Abraham had any children. So we see that the nations of the promise did not exist at the time of Abraham, but that God said that they would exist. When the promise to Abraham was made, there were no Romans. No, Rome was founded 750 B.C., 1250 years after Abraham. There were no Dorian Greek Corinthians. The Dorian Greeks, they didn't get to Greece at all until about 1100 B.C., according to all the ancient poets. At least 900 years after the time of Abraham. And there were no Germanic Galatahi. There were no Galatians. The Germanic Galatahi are absolutely unknown to history until the Cimmerians are found partaking in the destruction of the cities of Assyria. 612 B.C. No Germanic Galatahi before them. There may have been other Adamic tribes who made temporary settlements in Germany or more permanent settlements in places such as along the Danube River. But they weren't the Galatahi. They were other people. They were other related people, but they weren't the Germanic tribes. Not yet. These tribes did not exist. These people did not exist. But all these and others descended from the children of Israel in the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. These nations, which later are found among the nations of the Christendom, they are the nations of the faith of Abraham the Galatahi, the Romans, the Dorian Greeks. They are the nations of the faith of Abraham. And it is they in which Abraham believed. doesn't matter what we believe. It's what Abraham believed that defines the faith of Abraham. These nations are the recipients of the promises to Abraham in Christ. The rest of Paul's language in Romans chapter 4 is just as explicit and just as exclusive. If one is not of one of these nations of the faith of Abraham, the nations descended from Abraham through the children of Israel, one cannot be a recipient of the promises of Christ. Paul says in verse 8 of Galatians chapter 3, and the writing, having foreseen that from faith Yahweh would deem the nations righteous, announced to Abraham beforehand that in you shall all the nations be blessed. As we had said earlier, Paul is not merely contrasting two different and obscure belief systems, works versus faith. Rather, Paul is contending 
that the children of Israel, who under the Levitical system were held accountable to the works of the law and failed, are nevertheless judged righteous by Yahweh because of the promise to Abraham. It's not that they deserve it. It's not that they earned it. The law and the rituals shows that they cannot earn it. Man cannot deserve it. The nations being deemed righteous are the nations from faith, which are the nations that Abraham believed would come from his own bowels. Yahweh said to Abraham, as it is recorded in Genesis 22.19, I'm sorry, 22.18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. This same promise was also repeated earlier at Genesis 12.3, Genesis 18.18. This promise was later passed down to Isaac and then to Jacob, where it was repeated again at Genesis 28.14. The passing of the promise to Jacob at the exclusion of Abraham's other sons is the point of Paul's statement in Galatians 3.16. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Verse 9. So those from faith are blessed along with the believing Abraham. Here, and in Romans chapter 4, it is evident that Paul of Tarsus interpreted the phrase referring to all the nations of the promise where it says that in you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul interpreted that to be a reference to the nations which would come into existence as a result of the promise to Abraham, as a result of that same promise. In Romans 4.13, Paul has said that the promise to Abraham or to his offspring is that he is to be the heir of the society, or the world, if you will. And this is also promised in various other prophecies, such as that at Isaiah chapter 54, where we read a promise to the Israelites who were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and these Galatahi are among them, and it says, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, which is exactly what they did. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, meaning east and west, and thy seed shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Several hundred years later, the Germanic tribes were all over Europe and Asia. Examining the text of Genesis chapter 12 alone, Examining the text of Genesis chapter 12 and stopping at Genesis chapter 12, where it first appears that Abraham was promised that in thee shall all the families 
of the earth be blessed. We can interpret the phrase, all the families, to mean all of those Genesis 10 descendants of Noah, who after the flood were divided in the land. And it says in verse 32 that these are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. The Bible tells us who all the families of the earth are at Abraham's time. However, it can be shown in ancient history and in biblical prophecy that by the time of Christ, over 2,000 years later, the children of Israel had indeed possessed the lands and ruled over the remnant of all of these tribes of the Genesis 10 nations, every single one of them. This was fulfilled primarily in the peoples of the Romans of the Mediterranean world, the Parthians of the East, the Phoenicians of the West, who descended from the Israelites, and the Germanic Scythians of the North, of which the Galatahi of Paul's epistle were only a small portion. Except for various remnants, scattered here and there, Don were the Egyptians, the Medes, the Assyrians, and otherly, other formerly great peoples of the Genesis 10 nations from the time of Abraham, while others, such as the Thracians, the Ionians, the Lydians, the Tartesians, and the Persians, all mentioned by those or other names in Genesis chapter 10. All of them were mixed in among the tribes of Israel in Europe and Asia. However, there were Canaanite, Edomite, Ishmaelite, and other tribes, which were the enemies of God and Israel, which were also spread throughout large portions of the world at that time. And these could not be heirs of the covenant. Here Paul is informing us that those from of the faith of Abraham are justified along with the believing Abraham, having the promise of God in Christ. These were the wheat and the tares of the parables of Christ, notably that which is found in Matthew chapter 13. The tribes descended from Abraham, would eventually subsume all of the Genesis 10 Adamic nations of the Old World, or those Old World nations would be destroyed by the enemies of God, something which is also often a matter of biblical prophecy and which is evident in history. From this point, the dispersed of the children of Israel, who had already become many nations, would either continue to be chastised, according to the prophets, or they would seek God in Christ and be justified, which is also according to the prophets. As it says in Isaiah chapter 45, Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed, and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in Yahweh, 
with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. For thus saith Yahweh that created the heavens, God himself has formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh. There is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, Yahweh, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. It is Yahweh God who declares what is right. And in the same chapter he had also promised that in Yahweh shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. But Israel, as we have seen Paul explain at length here, could not be justified by the law. At Paul's time, the remnant of Israel in Judea was still divided over this, and not even all of the Israelites in Judea had yet accepted the gospel. Paul had expressed his concern for them as opposed to the Edomites in Judea. Later in Romans chapter 9, here he also continues by comparing those who seek justification according to the law. And he says in verse 10, For as many as are from rituals of law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed are all who do not stand fast in all the writings within the book of the law to do them. Here Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, which in turn applies only to the children of Israel, since only the children of Israel were given the law. As David said, he did not deal in that manner with any other nation. In that chapter, there is an entire list of curses for people who do various wicked things such as those who commit idolatry, incest, or fornication with beasts. And today, we are clearly being punished with beasts as a result of our idolatry, and many of us are indeed fornicating with them. The last of the curses in Deuteronomy 27 reads, Cursed be! He that confirms not all of the words of this law to do them. Yet, by words of this law, the reference must be to all of the laws found in the book of Deuteronomy, and not just what is mentioned in that particular chapter. As we had also explained in our presentation of chapter 1 of this epistle to the Galatians, Disobedience to Christ is failure to do all of the words of the law of Moses, and thereby to be accursed. The part of the law which concerns Christ is found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where it says, Yahweh thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, these being the words of Moses, unto him you shall hearken. And Christ himself asserted that he was that prophet. Christ himself said in John chapter 6, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. 
But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? There were other ways in which the writings of Moses had prophecy concerning the Christ. However, not believing what had been written about the Christ or not hearkening to him, as Deuteronomy 18 insists, or what Christ had said. According to the law itself, men exhibit themselves to be accursed. So, to continue looking to the works of the law for one's justification is equivalent to rejecting the sacrifice of Christ by which Israel is justified, and it's equivalent to being accursed. Verse 11, Galatians chapter 3, and that in law no one is deemed righteous before Yahweh is clear, because the just shall live by faith. Here once again, Paul quotes Habakkuk as he did in Romans chapter 1. We had already cited this passage here as well in our commentary for Galatians chapter 2, discussing verse 18 of that chapter. There we had described the prayer which Habakkuk had made on account of the unrighteousness in Jerusalem, where he said in chapter 1 of his prophecy, Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment does never go forth, because the children of Israel in Jerusalem had abandoned the law of God. Yahweh's answer to that prayer is recorded in Habakkuk chapter 2, where it says that the just shall live by his faith and not by the righteousness found in the law. We also cited Psalm 143, where it says in verse 2, For in thy sight no man, no living man, shall be justified. Again, to show that man cannot be justified by the works of the law. Verse 12 of Galatians chapter 3. Now the law is not from faith, but he who practices these things shall have life by them. I understand that King James says, shall live in them. Here Paul quotes Leviticus 18.5, a passage which he also cites at Romans chapter 10, verse 5, where he says that Moses writes of the justice which is from out the law, that a man who practices these things shall have life by them. Paul is obviously not despising or diminishing the law of God. As he also states at Romans 3.31, do we then nullify the law by faith? Certainly not. Rather, we establish the law. The law is good, as Paul said in Romans chapter 7. But where all men sin and are destined to fail, they require the mercy of God for justification. Paul is only explaining that Yahweh, through his mercy, has chosen to freely justify all of the seed of Abraham through Yahshua Christ. 
Whereas the Old Covenant should have proved to the children of Israel that they could not be justified by the law. As it says in Romans chapter 3, in verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the justice of Yahweh is made known as attested by the law and the prophets. But justice of Yahweh through the faith of Yahshua Christ for all of those who are believing. For there is no distinction, for all have done wrong and fall short of the honor of Yahweh, being freely accepted by his favor through the redemption that is at the hands of Christ Yahshua. Without the mercy of God, the promises to Abraham could not have been kept by God. So God extends his mercy to Israel through Christ, while he also demonstrates that he himself can and will keep his law. God is infallible. Men are fallible. At verse 13, Galatians 3, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse on our behalf. For it is written, Accursed is everyone who hangs upon a timber or a tree. The curse of the law is that we, being fallible men, cannot live by the entire law perfectly all of the time. Therefore, failing in any one point, we are accursed. This alone should keep men humble, just as the Apostle James had said in chapter 2 of his epistle, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Here Paul is also citing Deuteronomy chapter 21 where it says, And if a man committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, or he be to be put to death, in other words, if he is to be put to death, the language is difficult, and now hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. Let thy land not be defiled, which Yahweh thy God has given thee for an inheritance. The sins of the children of Israel. Idolatry, fornication, adultery, rendered all of the children of Israel worthy of death. Christ, dying on their behalf, he had to die according to the law in Deuteronomy. Therefore, in John chapter 12, where Christ had said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The Apostle John had explained in the next verse that this he said, signifying what death he should die. Again, in John chapter 18, we read, Then said Pilate unto them, meaning to the leaders of the Judeans, You take him and judge him according to your law. The Judeans therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. Pilate told the Judeans to execute Christ. And if they had done so, then the method would have been by stoning. But the Roman method 
was crucifixion. And the apostle took care to make a note, which indicates to us that this circumstance was amenable to the fulfillment of God's law. Galatians 3.14 In order that the blessing of Abraham would come to the nations at the hand of Christ Yahshua, that we should receive the promise of the Spirit through the faith. Where Paul says the nations, he can only mean those same nations which he made reference to in his explanation of these same things at Romans chapter 4. The nations descended from Abraham as a result of the promises of God in which Abraham believed. Here Paul is concluding what he had started to explain earlier and means those nations from all the faith of Abraham, which he mentioned in verses 8 and 9, where he said, and the writing, having foreseen that from faith Yahweh would deem the nations righteous, announced to Abraham beforehand, that in you shall all the nations be blessed. So those from faith are blessed along with the believing Abraham. Where he says, those from faith, these in turn must be the same nations to which Paul referred when explaining this same thing to the Romans. Four years later, writing Romans chapter 4, where he said that indeed, not through law is the promise to Abraham or to his offspring, that he is to be the heir of the society, but through righteousness of faith. Therefore, from of the faith, that in accordance with favor, then the promise is to be certain to all of the offspring, just as it is written, that a father of many nations I have made you, for which he would become a father of many nations according to the declaration, thus your offspring will be. These are the nations in verse 14 here. The blessing of Abraham would come to the nations in Christ Yahshua, that we would receive the promise of the Spirit. Thus your offspring will be. And those nations alone constitute those who are of the faith of Abraham because it is they in which Abraham believed. There's no substitutes. Abraham did not believe in Negroes or Asians somehow becoming his seed. That's the exact opposite of the promise of God to Abraham. Abraham did not believe in Negroes and Asians. Abraham did not ever believe that his seed would be replaced by some church organization, which in turn would accept Negroes and Asians. All of the sophisticated devices of Jews and Catholics and all of their dispensationalist followers fail and contradict the word of God. Paul himself, asserts just as much in the following verse, where he says, Brethren, I speak as befits a man. Even a validated covenant of man, no one sets aside or makes additions to for himself. And that Greek word, 
that last clause, epidiatacitahi, is the present passive or medium voice, third person singular form of epidiataso. Strong's number 1928. It appears only here in the New Testament where we have written makes additions to for himself because it's a medium voice verb. The medium voice in Greek is used when the initiator and the recipient of an action are one and the same. Interpreting the verb to be in a passive voice is implausible here because man is the subject and covenant is the object of the verb. Paul is saying that no non-Israelite Paul is saying that no one who is not expressly included in the promises of the covenant can change the meaning of the scriptures to include himself into the promises of the covenant. It's not possible. Men might fool themselves, but men won't fool God. This is exactly what the denominational churches have been teaching trying to make an end run around the word of God to squeeze in niggers and Asians. God won't be mocked. Here Paul insists that they cannot do such a thing. Abraham's offspring will be many nations. But you can't take anybody who's not Abraham's offspring and squeeze him into this covenant. It's not going to happen. As Christ said in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Have not the Jews, the enemies of Christ, taken the kingdom of heaven for themselves by reinterpreting the Bible for Christians in a way that attempts to make gods of the Jews and men out of beasts? In reality, the Jews are devils, and the beasts as the Apostle Peter tells us, are made to be taken and destroyed. Paul continues, after telling us that nobody can change the covenants of God, Paul continues in Galatians 3.16 to say, Now to Abraham the promises have been spoken, and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings as of many, but as of one, and to your offspring. Now, Abraham's offspring were to become many nations according to the promise, and not just one individual. And to your offspring, which are anointed. And of course, here in this passage, all of the modern translations interpret the word seed, where it appears in the singular to be a reference to Jesus Christ. Therefore, the King James Version reads this passage to say, Not to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. It's funny how. The seed of Abraham in Romans 4 refers to many nations. And the seed of Abraham in all those promises of God in Genesis refers to an innumerable number 
But here, all of a sudden, it only refers to Christ. That's not true. In the context of all the promises to Abraham, if we were to insist that the word seed must be interpreted to refer to a single individual, then it must refer to Isaac. It must be interpreted to refer to Isaac and not to Christ. This is because Paul says in Romans, speaking of the people in Judea, that not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In the book of Genesis, which Paul is referring to in Romans, we see in chapter 21, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. So the word of Yahweh states that Isaac is Abraham's seed in the singular sense, and not Christ. However, even in spite of this truth, we cannot be forced to interpret that, the singu- that a singular individual is the recipient of the promise which Paul has mentioned here in his verse. Since later, in verse 22, Paul says that the promise from the faith in Yahshua Christ would be given to those who are believing. And we see that the recipient of which he speaks in verse 22 is a plurality. As Christ later in this epistle is described as the mediator of the promise, therefore Christ is not the recipient of the promise at all, but Christ is the mediator through whom the promise is assured and delivered. Paul then says in verse 29, If you are Christ, then of the offspring of Abraham, you are heirs according to the promise. And if you are not of the offspring of Abraham, you cannot be of Christ. And you cannot be an heir according to the promise because, as Paul also said in Romans chapter 4, the promise is certain to all of the offspring of Abraham. The offspring aren't for the benefit of the promise. The promise is for the benefit of the offspring. Therefore, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 2, that both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now the one here is not Adam, and it's not Eve, and it's not blood, but rather Paul refers again to Abraham where he states later in the same chapter, 
For as much, then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. As in Romans chapter 8, Paul had called Christ the firstborn among many brethren, among those whom he had foreknown and predestinated and called, who were the children of Israel. When one is interpreting and translating a verse which has multiple possibilities of interpretation, one must choose the interpretation which does not cause any conflict with other statements made by the same writer, or in the case of Scripture, by the Bible itself. However, interpreting the seed of Galatians 3.16 to refer to Christ himself contradicts all of the promises to Abraham, as well as several other statements which Paul makes here in this epistle. While interpreting that seed as the collective children of Israel agrees with the promises to Abraham and it agrees with all of Paul's other statements in this epistle. Therefore, in the context in which the promises of God were made to the patriarch Abraham, as well as the context of Paul's other statements where he explains the nature of the promises to Abraham, we must assert that only one possible interpretation of the text of Galatians 3.16 is actually valid, and that is the one found in the Christogenian New Testament, which is also literally correct as well, where it says, now to Abraham the promises had been spoken, and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, as of many, but as of one, and to your offspring, which are anointed. Paul here contrasts the Greek word spermati, which is the dative singular of sperma, Strong's number 4690, seed, sperm, coming from Abraham's bowels. Paul contrasts that singular form with the dative plural form, spermacene. Thayer says of sperma, Thayer, Joseph Thayer, in his Greek-English lexicon, says of sperma that the singular is used collectively of the grains or kernels sown. But later, in his definition of that word, Thayer claims that this is not so here in this instance, and he offers a perverted explanation of Paul's use of the word in this verse, which he rather brazenly calls genius. In other words, Thayer is devising or contriving a lie, and Thayer is calling it genius. Thayer insists that Paul meant a single individual, Jesus Christ, by his use of the term for seed here. And then Thayer adds flattery to somehow make his own corrupt definition seem legitimate. 
in the context of this and Paul's other epistles, especially in Romans and Galatians, where he discusses these promises to Abraham. We must understand this explanation of Paul's to be a comparison of the several races sprung from Abraham, that of Jacob Israel, as opposed to both Ishmael, who is discussed here by Paul in Galatians chapter 4, and to Esau, who is compared by Paul with Jacob in Romans chapters 9 to 11. And even those sons which Abraham had with Keturah, who were mentioned and listed in Genesis chapter 25 and mentioned throughout Old Testament scripture. Countering these scriptures as if their own logic has greater authority, the denominational Christians often resort to the accounts in the gospel where John the Baptist is recorded as having told certain of the Pharisees and Sadducees that Yahweh can raise up children for Abraham from stones. Now, that may well be true, but that will not make them the heirs of the covenant according to the promises of Yahweh, and the promises of Yahweh cannot fail in Scripture the wicked are constantly challenged to do good. And the proof of the word of Yahweh lies in the fact that they cannot do good, which is why a bastard should never enter into the congregations of Yahweh. The word seed, as it is in English, also in Greek and Hebrew, is a singular noun which is used collectively, where it signifies many of a single type. The Greek plural of sperma appears elsewhere in the New Testament, only in Matthew 13 and in Mark chapter 4, where diverse types are referred to. And where diverse types are meant, the word is used in the plural. This is true in Old Testament Hebrew also, where Zerah, which is the word typically translated as seed, Strong's Hebrew number 2233, Zerah, speaking of many of the same type, only occurs in the plural one time in 1 Samuel 8.15, where it is used of crops and diverse varieties are implied. Because diverse varieties are implied, the word appears in the plural. But in the King James translation in 1 Samuel 8.15, it is still translated in the singular. This is another word, kileim. Kileim, Strong's number 3610, does not mean seed by itself, but rather it is a noun of the dual form, which means two kinds. And what kinds it refers to must be determined from the context in which it is used. It could be two kinds of material. It could be two kinds of beverage. It could be water and wine, two kinds, depending on the context. 
In Deuteronomy 22.9, Kilaim is translated as diverse seeds, where it appears in the context of sowing a vineyard, where it says, thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with Kilaim, or two kinds. The King James has, appropriately, thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds. Rest assured that Yahweh shall not sow the body of Christ with diverse seeds. Because only the seed of Abraham are the recipients of the promises of God. Where Paul uses the dative plural, spermacene, in this passage, translated as seeds, he is referring to the various types of tribes which had descended from the patriarch Abraham, the Ishmaelites, the Edomites, the Midianites, and he is informing us that only one of those tribes are the recipients of the promises meaning the Israelites, for it is they who are the anointed. This is also precisely what we witness in the book of Genesis, where in Genesis chapter 21 we see the trial with Hagar and Sarah, and the conclusion of Yahweh to Abraham that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, and of the sons of Isaac, Esau, is later eliminated for being a fornicator and a profane man, as Paul later calls him in his epistle to the Hebrews, and the promise is passed on to Jacob instead. Esau had despised his birthright and had taken wives of the Hittites, which is why Paul later in his epistle to the Hebrews described Esau as a fornicator, after Rebekah helped arrange for Jacob to get Isaac's blessing rather than Esau, she informs us as to why, where she is recorded as having said at the end of Genesis chapter 27, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these, which are daughters of the land. What good shall my life do me? Then, in response to Rebekah's distress, we see the reaction of Isaac in the opening verses of Genesis chapter 28. And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, something which Esau had already done. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. This is what Paul does in Galatians 3.16.
There are Edomites and Canaanites in Judea. There are Ishmaelites amongst the Arab tribes in and out of Judea. Paul is telling us, just like he told us in Romans chapter 9, where he expressed concern for his brethren in Judea, his kinsmen according to the flesh, and said that not all of those in Israel are Israel. And he went on to compare Israelites and Jacob as vessels of mercy to Esau and his descendants as vessels of destruction. Paul is making the same comparison here in another way. Since the word sperma may be translated as race, as Liddell and Scott attest in their definition of the word, in all fairness, we may have done better to translate this verse, now to Abraham the promises have been spoken, and to his race. All of his other descendants mix their race. They are no longer Abraham's race. The Ishmaelites are Arabs. The word Arab means mixed. Not all Arabs are Ishmaelites. But you could rest assured from the history of the Old Testament that all Ishmaelites are now Arabs. And to Abraham the promises have been spoken, and to his race. It does not say, and to races, as of many, but as of one. And to your race, which is anointed. The history of the Old Testament shows that the other tribes descended from Abraham had mixed with the races of Canaan, and thereby polluted themselves in the manner of Esau. Our critics often point to the verb esteem here which is anointed, which is properly the second person singular of the verb, to be, or we would, as we would say, is. But in our translation here, it is are, which is the third person. And it is easily demonstrable that esteem, the second person form, is often translated as are, A-R-E, when it refers to a collective noun or to a collection of objects. In proper Greek grammar, the collection being singular, so the verb is singular, which accompanies it. But one need not look further than Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, or Galatians 5.19, or Luke 18.27, for examples, where the King James Version takes the same exact form, esteem, and renders that form of the verb as are, A-R-E, as a third-person verb. In English, we may say that the herd is running, referring to a collection of sheep, rather than the herd are running, which we don't say. Therefore, we've translated esteem as are, A-R-E, to convey the idea that the reference to the anointed is to the collective seed, which in this case is referring to the children of Israel as a group, 
the body of Christ. The children of Israel are the anointed collectively, as we have already discussed at length while presenting chapter 1 of this epistle to the Galatians, where we used examples from Paul's epistles found in 1 Corinthians 1.13, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Hebrews 11.26, 1 Timothy 5.11, and elsewhere to show that Paul often used the term Christos, anointed, to refer to the members of the body of Christ collectively. We then provided other testimony from the Old Testament and other New Testament writings in order to further demonstrate the proof of our assertion. In Galatians 3.14, Paul informs us that the blessing of Abraham would come to the nations. And in Galatians 3.15 and 3.16, Paul tells us that those nations which descended from Abraham, which the blessing would come to, are the only ones which Yahweh had anointed, which are the nations of the children of Israel as opposed to the other nations descended from Abraham. Paul is talking to the blessing to Abraham's offspring. That's the entire context of these last few verses. And Paul says, now to Abraham the promises have been spoken and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, meaning Ishmaelites, Edomites, Midianites, as of many, but as of one, and to your offspring, Paul is creating a literary device, just not the one that Thayer imagined. And to your offspring, meaning Israelites, which are anointed. We shall continue this discussion when we present the balance of Galatians chapter 3, Yahweh willing, next Friday evening. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of all of the offspring of Israel, and good night.